So for today's GCSE geography session, let's have a chat about one of the more devastating natural disasters we see, which are earthquakes. So earthquakes are just sudden or violent movements within the Earth's crust, which are followed by a series of shocks. These shocks are just the releasing of energy in the form of seismic waves. And an earthquake happens when the Earth's tectonic plates move and cause the ground to shake. As these plates move past each other, pressure will build up due to friction between them. And when the stress is too great for the rocks to endure, they'll violently slide past each other. And this occurs at all three types of margins, but a little bit differently at each. So let's think about the different margins we have. So we have conservative, destructive and constructive. So let's start by talking about conservative. So this is where two plates are sliding past each other relative to one another, but they only move during an earthquake because the friction between these two grates doesn't let them slide like smoothly. They are very rough surfaces. Then at destructive margins, we have subduction of an oceanic plate. And the oceanic plate is very rough on the top, so it will get stuck on the continental plate as it tries to subduct, they'll deform, they'll get stress and high pressure, and then all of a sudden you'll get an earthquake. And these are very, very big earthquakes. And then finally, at constructive plates, you have two plates moving apart, and you think, why would this produce earthquakes? Well, these plates can move apart at different speeds in different areas, and this causes stress within the plates. And they're all the rate of movement is determined by the speed of the convection current moving below it. So if in the northern side of a plate, you have a fast convection current that is going to move a lot faster than say the southern side of the plate and often causes a bit of rotation too. It's where we get transform faults. So the faults operate in a similar way to a conservative margin. In this case, we get lots of tiny, tiny conservative margins along perpendicular to the main fault where the plates are moving apart. So what is the earthquake itself? Well, it's when the pressure in the rocks is released as seismic waves and they radiate out from a point beneath the surface. This is called the focus and it's where the seismic waves are the strongest. So it's where you get the most damage. The point directly above this on the surface is called the epicenter. And this is where you'll see on the news they report it as the epicenter. This is where the strongest seismic waves can be felt. This is where you get the most energy. So earthquakes are measured on the moment magnitude scale, which is just a measure of how much energy is released in an earthquake. You may have heard of this as the Richter scale. So this scale is logarithmic. So every increment on the scale is actually an increase in the energy by 10 times. So a change from one to two on the scale is a 10 times increase in the amount of energy released. So if you think between one to two is another 10, between one and three, that's 100, one and four, it's 1,000, then you're getting all the way up to nine that is an insane amount of energy being released as a result we've never really seen anything bigger than a 9.5 on this scale and also anything more than a seven is considered a very big earthquake and that will cause a lot of damage and a lot of deaths so those are what you'll see in your case studies like volcanic eruptions we have to respond to these earthquakes you know people will need help so let's talk about the immediate and the long-term responses so immediate responses are very similar to the volcanic eruptions. There's temporary infrastructure such as communication hubs, field hospitals and temporary accommodation, which are all put in place while damaged systems are repaired or backups are brought online. Also, you get aid. So charities and foreign governments will often send aid workers or uh, financial donations to help the country survive the immediate impact of hospitals being inundated, people needing digging out of rubble, and also the potential of economic collapse as businesses are taken off their feet. 
So rescuers in particular have to be dispatched to find people trapped in the rubble and sadly they have to remove the deceased. This is to prevent the spread of disease, which is one of the biggest problems actually after an earthquake has occurred, especially in low income countries. In rare cases, if there are small, what we call foreshocks, which are just little earthquakes that happen before the main event, there can be calls for an evacuation, but earthquakes are really, really hard to predict. There are long-term responses too. So long-term responses are things like increased economic growth, which is fueled by government grants, subsidies, and encouragement of tourism. There's also improved preparation for future events. So building regulations might change and the designs can be modified. So you can get cross bracing, you can get shutters, you can get these things which make these buildings earthquake proofs. There's also resettlement programs which can be put in place. This occurs in areas of particular risk. Finally, there's the rebuilding process. So housing, infrastructure, public buildings, transport links, all those things need to be rebuilt and public services such as water, gas, electricity supplies, they need to be reconnected and repaired. So there are big cities built on fault lines. Think about Los Angeles, think of Tokyo, the Istanbul. And these highly populated cities need to be prepared for these hazards. So how do we prepare for tectonic hazards? Well, there's the first way, which is reducing the impact overall. So we can monitor seismic activity using seismometers, which just detect the foreshocks in the ground, but they can only give minutes of warning for earthquakes, if that, that's a large margin. However, volcanic eruptions are a bit easier to predict. So before these eruptions occur, we often see small earthquakes, bulges of magma reaching the surface and an increase in sulfur gas emissions. These are all warning signs which can be measured and monitored. So usually around volcanoes, especially ones that are near civilization, there are monitoring stations which are permanently manned and connected to a nationwide warning system. When it comes to earthquakes, we can probably predict where they occur, very broadly speaking. So we can look at the boundaries. We know where these fault lines are, so we know where they're most likely to occur. And if you look at places like Istanbul, some earthquakes can occur in a sequence. So every 200 years ago, there is also there is a cycle. So from the west to the east of Istanbul, the fault is called unzipping. So the faults can be predicted to have an earthquake here, then here, and then it moves along like that. So you can think roughly where the next earthquake is going to occur. High income countries are much more prepared for this than low income countries. So the infrastructure in high risk, high income countries is often built to withstand earthquakes. Buildings can have cross braces, automatic shutters, which prevent glass falling down, fire suppression systems and automatic switches, which turn off gas and electricity to prevent damage to buildings. And in some cases you get shock absorbers or the buildings are built on big Teflon plates, which allow them to shake, well, allow the great, the which allowed the ground to shake underneath, but the building remains stationary on top. And this minimizes the damages. A good example of this is in Taipei 101, which is a huge skyscraper in Taiwan. This has a massive pendulum inside, which absorbs this energy from inertia and prevents the building from being strained as it moves. The problem with this is it's quite spectacular to watch. You can find videos on YouTube. People tend to climb to the top of this massive skyscraper in earthquakes to watch the pendulum move, which is not the safest thing to do. A final form of protection is preparing the population itself. So Japan have a dedicated day on the 1st of September called Earthquake Day, 
where they have nationwide drills. So children in schools will all get under the table, people at work will evacuate buildings. It's a huge event. But this means that when an earthquake happens in Japan, people are prepared. Nobody panics. Everyone knows what to do, where to go. And as a result, the death toll is a lot lower. That's all you need to know really about earthquakes and preparing for them.